just outside the Tilipuchuri, where she made a sign summoning the others from the bar. The gunmen in the doorway beckoned them. The brigands in the tavern put down their drinks, cocked their pistols and headed out, spreading across the square. Thin, consumptive young men in wide trousers who had barely eaten for weeks. Some were gangsters, some desperados, and some, typically for Georgia, were poverty-stricken princes from roofless, wallless castles in the provinces— if their deeds were criminal, they cared nothing for money. They were devoted to Lenin, the party, and their puppet master in Tiflis, Stalin. The cavalry captain with the flashing sabre, who had been promenading the square, now warned passers-by to stay out of it, but when no one paid any attention he jumped back onto his fine horse. He was no officer, but the ideal of the Georgian beau-sabreur and outlaw, half-knight, half-bandit. This was Kamo, aged twenty-five, boss of the outfit and, as Stalin put it, a master of disguise, who could pass for a rich prince or a peasant laundrywoman. He moved stiffly, his half-blind left eye squinting and rolling. One of his own bombs had exploded in his face just weeks before. He was still recuperating. Kamo was completely enthralled by Stalin, who had converted him to Marxism. He was a bank robber of ingenious audacity, a Houdini of prison escapes, a credulous simpleton, and a half-insane practitioner of psychopathic violence. Intensely, eerily tranquil, with a weird, lustreless face and a blank gaze, he was keen to serve his master, often begging Stalin, Let me kill him for you. He would later plunge his hand into a man's chest and cut out his heart. Throughout his life, Stalin's detached magnetism would win the devotion of amoral, unbounded psychopaths. His boyhood henchmen, Kamo, and these gangsters were the first in a long line. Captain Kamo turned his horse towards the boulevard and trotted audaciously right past the advancing convoy coming the other way. The Cossacks galloped into Yerevan Square, two in front, two behind, and another alongside two carriages. Through the dust, the gangsters could make out a stagecoach which contained two state bank officials in frock coats and two guards with rifles cocked. A second phaeton was packed with police and soldiers. In the thunder of hooves, it took just seconds for the carriages and horsemen to cross the square, ready to turn into Sololaki Street, where stood the new state bank. The statues of lions and gods over its door represented the surging prosperity of Russian capitalism. The gangsters drew out what they nicknamed their apples, powerful grenades which had been smuggled into Tiflis by the girls, Anita and Alexandra, hidden inside a big sofa. The gunmen and the girls stepped forward, pulled the fuses and tossed four grenades which exploded under the carriages with a deafening noise and an infernal force that disemboweled horses and tore men to pieces, spattering the cobbles with innards and blood. The brigands drew their Mauser and Browning pistols and opened fire on the Cossacks and police around the square who, caught totally unawares, fell wounded or ran for cover. The bank's carriages stopped. Screaming passers-by scrambled away. No one could tell if the terrible shooting was the boom of cannons or explosion of bombs, reported the Georgian newspaper Isari. The sound caused panic everywhere. Almost across the whole city people started running— Carriages and carts were galloping away. Chimneys had toppled from buildings. Every pane of glass was shattered. 
Amid the yellow smoke and the wild chaos, among the bodies of horses and mutilated limbs of men, something had gone wrong. One horse, attached to the front carriage, twitched, then jerked back to life. Just as the gangsters ran to seize the money bags in the back of the carriage, the horse reared up out of the mayhem and bolted, disappearing with the money that Stalin had promised Lenin for the revolution. During the ensuing century, Stalin's role that day was suspected yet unprovable. But now the newly opened archives in Moscow and Tbilisi show how he masterminded the operation and groomed his inside men within the bank over many months. When he was dictator of Soviet Russia, he referred nostalgically to those games of Cossacks and bandits, but never gave details that might undermine his credentials as a statesman. The Stalin